Everyone, welcome out to Peacappy Podcast. I know, I just talked to you yesterday. Trying to make sure I get in all the episodes I was supposed to this month. It's been a little it's been a little crazy. But yeah, we're coming at you with advanced generation number 13, all things bright and beautiful, and judging by my notes, this is gonna be a long one. So strap in, buckle up. But first, do you know what fake PG is? I didn't, but if you want a little context, you should listen to Poke Press's interview with Andrew Novak, the Midwest VCG Regionals winner, and learn what fake PG is and why his team can beat that. Like, I consider myself approaching expert level when it comes to events in the Pokemon anime, but the world of gameplay is a whole other, other land and language, and it's cool to learn about. And maybe for you aspiring gamers, you can get a little insight into how you want to build your own winning team. So you can find their channel at PokePress on YouTube or pokepress.blogspot.com. And while you're there, also see other great videos that they've assembled, like an interview with Veronica Taylor, for example, the voice of our childhood. Stephen has talked with her, uh, along with many other wonderful and amazing people who have worked on Pokemon. So give those videos a look right after listening to this episode. Hoo boy, all things bright and beautiful. This is where the series takes a bit of a turn. Here we go. So the kids arrive at Rustboro City, and the first site is Rustboro Hall. Um, it's a big arena with rose lattices at the entryway and gardens. It's real nice. And Ash is excited because this city is the location of the Rustboro Gym, the first official gym he'll be able to challenge and therefore get his first gym badge for the Hoenn region. And he's waited a while for this. <laughs> but he'll have to wait some more because this hall is still on the outskirts of the city, like the very outskirts. Practically a suburb, like it's technically Rustboro City, but not really. So it's like nearly a full day's walk to get to the gym. But still, the light is at the end of the tunnel, so everyone's steps have just a bit more skip in them right now. And as they walk along, they pass a lot of trainers with their Pokemon. And they're clearly practicing for something, but Ash doesn't think they're training for a battle. But there's a big sign for a Pokemon competition, a Pokemon contest, and that could be what everyone's practicing for. And before anyone can ask what that is, a giant bug Pokemon flies into May's face. Not a Butterfree, but close. This Pokemon is called a Beautifly. And it's kind of attached to May's head. Luckily, a woman runs up uh, the Beautifly's trainer to rein in her Pokemon. 
Or she would if Brock didn't try to hit on her first. The attempt is kind of wasted. She's much more concerned with her beautifly going around and landing on people's heads. Anyway, she's accompanied by a dude with a Venomoth. And I kind of admire how Brock doesn't just assume that because a man and woman are hanging out together that they must be romantically involved, but he loses all those points by assuming every woman he meets is available, so... Max cuts through the craziness to ask these two people who they are and what's going on here. He asks if she was training her beautiful eye for the Pokemon contest, and in fact, she was. Her name is Janet, her friend's name is Chaz, they were training together, and some of Beautifly's attacks went a little crazy. Uh, but Chaz thinks that's more his fault, since his Venomoth's whirlwind was just way too powerful. And that's an idea that Ash finds odd, because in Pokemon battles, power is typically a good thing. But for Chaz, it's a failure. Chaz explains, after Max shames Ash for not understanding the art of the Pokemon contest, that these competitions aren't about beating your opponent, but about the spectacle, the appeal, how things look. It's a bit more artsy, and a powerful attack may not get the job done. Like in gymnastics, if you have too much power going into the vault, you're not necessarily better. You might over-rotate, land on your neck, and die. Or you might land, but look super squonky and lose points that way. It's the same with figure skating or diving or any judged sports. You do want power, but it's not a first-to-faint or first-to-cross-the-finish line scenario. You need control, and you need to worry not just about doing the thing, but how you look when you're doing the thing. So these people are Pokémon coordinators, a title Ash is still learning how to say, but May knows about this. <laughs> so does Max, and we'll later find out why they know about it. It's not just because they're from Hoenn. Um, now, true to form, May hasn't actually put a lot of effort into following the business of coordinating. She just knows about it and that it's a bit different from regular battles and you get cute ribbons when you win. And if you get the requisite number of wins, you get to go on to the Grand Festival and compete in basically the finals. It's, it's the coordinator's answer to the league tournaments. And the kids decide to enter the contest just for kicks. Like all of them, basically everyone in this episode that isn't Max is going to try and register. Yes, even Team Rocket, because here's one of the bombshells being dropped today. Jesse has a contest pass for the Hoenn region. It is, of course, expired, but I'm guessing this was maybe tossed around in the writer's room as a potential plot point, because remember, back in that first episode, she was getting all nostalgic, and James and Meowth were like, wait, you're talking like you've been here before. Like, I can't remember if anything substantial ever comes of that, but if this pass is legit, yeah, Jesse's been to Hoenn before and tried to make a go of it as a Pokemon coordinator. And today she's jumping back on that horse. The pass is expired, but the lady at the desk offers to renew it for Jessie, and with that, she's the last participant to enter. The, the contest had a limit, and it's filled by the time Ash, Brock, and May all get to the building. It's a shame. But they do all get passes so they can watch the match, which I am a little confused about. There are a few things in this episode about the contest that are just like, like a couple weeks down the road, we'll see they had to rework the rules on the fly. Um, 
But these passes that Ashbrock and May are holding are kind of one of the big ones because I don't think they're just serving the functions of tickets because Max doesn't have one unless children under 10 are free if accompanied by a Pokemon trainer. Um, But typically contest passes give you the right to enter contests. It's like Ash registering for the Pokemon League. Every time he goes to a new region, he can't just start challenging gyms. He has to first, like, visit a Pokemon Center and get registered. So we'll have to keep our eyes on this as it develops. I think it's just a mistake. Because I know Ash got a contest pass for Kanto and for Sinnoh. I did not think he had one in Hoenn, and I'm 90% sure he never used it if he did. But if their contest passes as we know them, that is, permission to enter regional contests, it's interesting that Brock has one, because again, I didn't think he'd gotten one for Hoenn either. So we'll see. But anyway, they're excited enough to watch this match, and Janet's Beautifly is kind of attached to May's head. And rather than try to train it not to do that in the next five minutes, Janet decides to roll with this, roll with Max's idea that he and May should be Janet's assistants. So that's cool for May and Max. And Brock, he's bonding with Chaz over Pokemon food because the guy makes his own Pokeblock from berries. And Brock has heard of this, but he's never made it himself or tried it, it seems. So he's kind of nerding out and learning new things. For coordinators, Pokeblock is part of their whole gig, trying not only to keep the Pokemon's food nutritious in general, but really tailor it to the needs of their specific Pokemon and all that. It's made with berries. You've all played this game. I don't need to tell you about Pokeblock. Uh, But the work has paid off in Janet's case. Her Beautifly is gorgeous. And she's so happy to have someone praise a Pokemon she trained. Beautifly agrees. And so does Ash. Like, this is something he can relate to. But May can't. And that realization is kind of important for her. Because she's getting along with Torchic, but she's not really done that much with it. So she doesn't have, like, that mentor-teacher-parent feeling. Like, my greatest joy in life is watching my babies grow. And she's starting to see the value in that attitude. And remember, May started this series very focused on herself. She wanted to travel the world and have adventure and generally take life easy and have fun. But over this journey, she's been observing people with life goals and people investing time and energy into their Pokemon and the joy that comes from seeing that Pokemon improve. And since Ash hasn't fought a real gym battle yet and received any sort of, you know, badge or trophy or personal accolade, all she's observed with him has been pretty much selfless. Like, she's been watching trainers pouring their hearts and souls into their Pokemon and not getting anything tangible out of it. They do it out of love and hope and all that, and yes, to win, but again, May hasn't seen that aspect yet. She's seeing the sides that maybe she didn't get to see with Norman. Like, you know, she was too close to the situation, can't see the forest for the trees. When your dad is, you know the super great awesome gym leader, maybe it's easier to see that than all the quieter stuff that she's seeing with Ash every day with the training and the loving and the taking care of. So watching Janet and Chaz and Ash and Brock all agreeing that nothing is better than someone giving a compliment to your Pokemon and appreciating your Pokemon, that's interesting to me. 
and that's a way of life that she wasn't considering at the start of this series, and is maybe starting to see some value in. And I do love May in this episode, not because she actually does anything amazing, just because this episode is in that really weird place where she's not yet found her true passion, but since she's already boarded the Ash Ketchum train, she's got to ride it to the next station. Like, she is planning to have a gym battle in Rustboro City, and we all know she doesn't want to. Given Torchic's past performances, this is a terrible idea. But, like, she's gotten too deep into this thing with Ash. She can't just travel around anymore and do nothing and take the easy way. But she also can't take Max and just leave and go back to the way she was on day one. She's already crossed the event horizon. So she's got to do something. And, and this battling is the only option available to her. And I would kind of love if the story had kept up this a bit longer, like, switch today's episode with Ash's eventual gym battle and and force May to go through with it, maybe have her discover contests, uh, you know, a month or two down the line. Like, I'd like to explore where her character would go and how things shake out, because we all know she ain't winning that thing. Like, she would probably have a bad experience at the gym overall, would definitely realize this isn't something she wants to do. And knowing May, her confidence issues would take center stage, but if she still hadn't found contests or another option, like, the others would have to decide if they keep traveling or just hang around in Rustboro City until May finally gets a gym battle uh, completed. And of course, like, Ash is not going to be able to understand how May feels about Pokemon training and gym battles and the general lack of passion and May is not going to explain herself well, so there's tensions, and Max wouldn't get it either. Like, there's a whole mess of character dynamics just begging to be analyzed if the show had taken that road. Someone write that fanfic. Uh, but speaking of the Rustboro City gym, May and Ash say that's where they're headed, they're going to both fight a gym battle, and Janet and Chaz take one look at Ash and are like, you have other Pokemon, right? <laughs> Because Rustboro Gym is a rock-type gym. And while, yes, Ash did, in his first-ever gym battle, manage to pull out a win at a similar gym, that doesn't make repeating the experience a good idea. We don't know if the Rustboro Gym has sprinklers. But for May, this is music to her ears, because now she has an excuse not to try. Her Torchic can't handle a rock-type gym either, so she gets a pass. Like, no one's gonna look at her weird if she's like, uh, you take this one, Ash, I'll catch the next one, because she's only got the one Pokemon and it's a fire type. To the point that when Chaz tells Ash he knows a move that can help Pikachu fight rocks, May finds an excuse not to learn it, because if Torchic did, there goes her free pass. If she doesn't try, she doesn't have to fail. Really, guys, like, the main characters are all so driven and ambitious, and they love Pokemon, and May is the polar opposite. It's so refreshing. Like, we haven't seen anything like her since Pikachu in the early days, and now Pikachu's right there with Ash, like, tell me how to break rocks and become nigh unstoppable. So, Iron Tail, it begins... And I don't think we've ever seen a TM being used in this series, have we? Like, a, a machine. 
Ash and Pikachu have to learn this attack the old school way. Lots of push-ups, practice, and sweat. It's awesome. Pikachu spends the day lifting rocks with his tail to build up the muscles there, and his trainer is right beside him doing push-ups because solidarity. (laughs) Between all this and the walking, Ash must be ripped. The most cut ten-year-old in existence, man. Well, while they're doing that, Team Rocket is also preparing for the competition. Uh, Jessie is reading up on attacks and rules, but explains that if she wins this, it's like killing two birds with one stone, since not only will Jessie have achieved her lifelong goal of being famous, they'll also be able to recruit new Team Rocket members out of Hoenn thanks to her fame. So good luck to her, and the competition begins... Dude, the Smeargle that did, like, an oil painting, that is awesome. Like, all of them are pretty cool. All the Pokemon do amazing things. But that one gets some extra points. Just like, I'm gonna come out and do a Rembrandt. And May, she agrees. She thinks this whole context is awesome. And that's the only word she can use. It starts as a running gag, very quickly becomes annoying. But... Here is where all the impressions that she's been getting about Pokemon really come together. Because as much as she sees Ash's passion and his love for Pokemon and his dreams, and she's even indicated on some occasions that maybe she'd like to be more like that or have that in her life, she just doesn't feel it for battles. Even when she can appreciate... Um, all the good things Ash is demonstrating in his Pokemon battles, May has never really felt any desire to participate in one herself or train for one. But this, here's where working together with your Pokemon means something to May, where competition means something, and striving to be better and more perfect and training, all this stuff, here is where it gets her blood pumping. And that's a special moment when you find that thing in your life. Because some of us are like Ash and like know what they want to do since basically the day they were born. And some of us are a bit more like Gary and the path changes direction a few times. And some of us are like May. And even if we're surrounded by a thing, it takes a bit of time before we really find the convergence of circumstances and elements where we're like, oh yeah, this is what I want to do. Like, it sometimes takes a while before we find the thing that gets us out of bed in the morning. Until it hits you, that can be a weird place to be in. Like, overall, I think I'm more of a Gary, but in a way I'm a bit of a May too, in that I'd been in shows and performing since I was, you know, a very young kid, but I was almost out of high school before... I knew what I wanted to do with my life, like acting and performing and that sorts of things. And even then, I wouldn't say I'd really found my life's calling completely. It was kind of like, well, I don't know if this is really what I want, but I'll study it in college because I hate it less than everything else. Like that aha moment, this is my life, came a bit later. And there were a lot of angsty teenage years where it was like, I like a lot of things, I'm good at a lot of things, but when you ask what I want to spend the next four years studying or what my job is going to be 40 hours a week for the rest of my life, it's like, I don't know, I don't really care about any of this that much. And it took a while for the circumstances to align in a way that I could be like, oh, 
that is how I will be fulfilled and contribute to the world. So I can relate to me on a lot of levels, that feeling of being a little bit lost, but acting like you're not, because everyone else seems to know exactly what they want to do, and finding that thing that makes you be like, yes, I want to do this, I will work hard for this, and also finding that that is a viable career option that, you know, maybe will support your lifestyle. <laughs> it's a different path through life than we've seen through many of our other characters, um, and speaking of working hard, I can also relate to Ash here. Like that moment where you put in hard work and effort and suddenly you get just a little glimpse of what could be. Because he's out training with Pikachu. Taylo and Trico are helping and Pikachu's like whacking apples out of the air and balls and twigs. And then without warning, Pikachu's tail kind of glows just for a second and everyone stops just like, whoa. Just for a second, just long enough to weird Pikachu out, but that is the future. They're not where they want to be, but they're headed in the right direction. It's just an interesting moment, and I'm kind of glad that this show is experimenting with different types of training and different stages and nuances of that journey of improvement, and that they're finding ways to do it with Pikachu who, you know, has gone through several regions now, multiple years of steady improvement. Like, I love that they keep finding new ways to push Pikachu and to reinvent things and have it struggle and have to learn new things. Um, but as Ash praises uh, Pikachu's moment of glory, they hear the cheers in the distance and they realize the contest is starting. They, they were so wrapped up in training, they, they forgot about it. So Ash and Pikachu gather up all the stuff, return the team to their Pokeballs, and book it over to the contest hall. They missed Chaz's performance, but they're in time for Janet's. And Beautifly shows that it is a master of control, with its string shot uh, just using perfect precision to shoot things out of the air. May and Max, uh, as assistants, toss objects into the air for Beautifly to hit. Like, basically it's shooting clay pigeons. And and then Beautifly uses a very sparkly hidden power. It's kind of amazing. Ash is impressed. After Janet, Jessica takes the stage, or as we know her, Jessie, or an employee of Salon Roquet, I swear we've seen these outfits before. Team Rocket, like, on the one hand, contests and anything involving style and panache are right up their alley. On the other hand, Jesse asks the Viper to use Sacred Fire. And now there have been many a Pokemon battle where I've hoped my Pokemon might spontaneously learn something new in the middle of the match. But that's not really how the game works. Nor life. So Sviper's very confused. And Jesse, like, keeps asking for Water Pulse, Blaze Kick, and just all these attacks Sviper has no way of completing, Dragon Claw, and the poor snake just shakes its head like, I can't do the thing, Jesse. It's a beautiful little scene. It's, it's put on stage in front of all these people, and its trainer keeps asking for weird impossible things, and it doesn't know any of the cool attacks, and it just... Starts sweating buckets. Swiper is a literal waterfall by the end of this. And in the end, Jessie resigns herself to Poison Tail and Swiper's like, I know that one! 
just joyfully launches into the attack with so much gusto that it hits Jessie and knocks her out of the arena. It wasn't a great appeal, but the crowd did like it. Afterwards, Jessie and Saviper are collapsed in a tearful embrace, like, I'm so sorry, you were wonderful, and they're crying upon crying. But James and Meowth have hit upon a plan to cheer the two of them up. They'll just steal the winning Pokemon from the contest. And yeah, that snaps them right out of that funk. Their friends know them so well. Uh, with this, we're at the finals, and the two finalists are Janet and Chaz. They're friends and rivals, and it's lovely, like their little backwards fist bump, the banter. Aww. The battle portion of the competition begins. Janet versus Chaz, Beautifly versus Venomoth. Ash has a little trouble understanding the rules, but he's not alone. Contests kind of take a few demonstrations to really follow, especially in anime-verse. Uh, but the attacks are not meant to do damage. Rather, they are worth points. And you want to do attacks that make a good audience appeal, but you also need to be able to defend yourself against your opponent. So it's like a talent show, except the two entrants perform at the same time, and maybe the chick with the flute will huck her instrument at the guy spinning plates. Obviously, if you don't defend yourself against the attack, you lose points, and the little counter bar goes down. But if you can defend with an attack that's also awesome looking and worth a ton of points, you don't lose much at all. Which is basically what's happening with Janet and Chaz's dueling Gust and Silverwind attacks. Both lost points, but Janet lost less, because her attack was worth more. Like, being able to physically overpower your opponent is a bit of a component in these battle parts of the contest, in that if you get defeated and knocked down to the ground, you don't look that great. <laughs> But it is ultimately less about your strength in defeat the opponent context, but your strength as an overall aesthetic. And the battle continues much in that vein, and it's a dazzling display, and Janet wins in the end. Neither Pokemon faints, but when the timer runs out, she has more points left on the table, so yay Janet. But unfortunately, first place also means you're the new target of a Team Rocket attack, and they waste no time jumping onto the stage in their tuxedo mask cosplay. They give Janet an exploding smoke bomb flower bouquet, and in the distraction, steal Venomoth and Beautifly. Well, of course, Ash and friends are going to help. They're in the front row. And I think by now, Ash has started to view Team Rocket as sort of his responsibility. So he sends out Pikachu. And that should have shut everything down, but he asked Pikachu to use Iron Tail. Pikachu's tail revs up, starts shining, and then goes limp. In the end, he's just standing there awkward in front of Saviper with a little sweat drop. It's okay, Pikachu. It happens to lots of guys. So with Pikachu messing up his opening move, the baton falls to Maze Torchic. Oh boy. Or so I thought. Did these two do a lot of training off-screen that I didn't know about? Because Torchic not only tackles Saviper, but uses Ember, uh, properly to burn up the nets and release Beautifly and Venomoth. Like, Torchic saves the day. I mean, it helps that May finally called her attacks right, but still, that's a, that's a bit of a jump in skill level. And with that done, 
Janet and Chaz can end the battle. Uh, Beautiful Eye and Venomoth both use Gust and send Team Rocket blasting off. So now we can get back to business. Janet gets awarded her ribbon. May decides she's going to become a coordinator and enter contests. And Ash and Pikachu recommit to training Iron Tail. The end. Wow. There, there's a lot of stuff to talk about here. A fun episode, a turning point for a few characters, a lot of new concepts introduced. Like, last episode was one that was basically filler, except for we did catch a Pokemon. This episode was the opposite. It was just so jam-packed with things. But I loved it. Like, like we got the dropping of information, introducing new concepts. We got so much character moments and character development. My gosh, this episode was all cylinders firing. And hilarious. Like, Sviper. It is proudly stepping into those weary shoes filled by Arbok, like, starting to find its way as a character and personality. I love it. Although, dude, they gotta start entering Wobbuffet in contests. Wobbuffet's such a ham. Or why don't they ever enter Meowth? I mean, I guess if they did, they might have to register Meowth to either Jesse or James, or at least start lying about it. Which Meowth, as we all well know, would never go for. Meowth belongs to nobody. But it does seem like show business is Meowth's life. You'd think it would love to perform for a for an audience. Well, we'll see as the season progresses, but final thoughts on this episode, A+. plus. Like, my first watch through through Hoenn, when all these were first coming out, like, this was one of the episodes I quite liked. And I'm glad to see that it's still holding up. But we're going to end the episode there. Uh, Stay tuning in to hear the development of Ash and Pikachu's Iron Tail training, May and Jesse's journeys into becoming Pokemon coordinators, and all of the other adventures awaiting us in the Hoenn region. You can find us on iTunes, Zune, wherever you get your podcasts, or visit our blog page, pcappypodcast.blogspot.com. And you can leave comments there or on our Facebook and Twitter at Podcast, Or you can send an email to Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. This has been Podcast. Gotta catch them all. <laughs>